At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Are you interested in black and white photography? We recently created a mini course for anyone who wants to take amazing black and white photographs both indoors and outdoors. It's essentially a crash course made up of 11 lessons that will introduce you to the genre, inspire you to try new things, and help you take amazing photographs, all within a short period of time. The current price is $19. We'll increase the price on January 1st, so make sure to take advantage of this amazing deal right now. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more. I look forward to helping you take your black and white photography skills to the next level. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I talk to the talented Huibo. Huibo takes stunning photographs of landscapes in both color and black and white. She has a very special way of pre-visualizing her shots, which we talk about a lot in this episode. We also talk about editing how to present yourself in the best light possible, how she found inspiration after years of not taking photographs, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Huibo. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, Taya. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's an honor to be invited. Okay, so hi, listeners. My name is Huibo Ho. I am based in San Diego, California, um, but I grew up in mainland China. I moved to U.S. in 1995 to pursue my um, graduate degree in electrical and computer engineering. Um, I then moved to San Diego to work for a wireless communication company as an engineer in the cell phone chip design industry. I worked there for a long time, um, almost 21 years. Now I am a full-time mom and a part-time photographer. 
my main interest is landscape photography. And I found myself falling in love with black and white landscape photography specifically. But I do color photography as well. I started getting interested in photography all the way back in about 1998 or early 1999, shortly after I moved to San Diego and started my first job. I always told my, told my friends that's because my parents came to visit me at that time and I took them for a sightseeing trip. And we visited many famous iconic places like Yosemite, Grand Canyon, um, places like that. So you can imagine the, the sceneries were very impressive, but I came back with photos not that impressive. So I thought this got changed. Um, so shortly after I, I bought my first SLR, hoping to improve uh, the quality of my pictures. So that was how I started my learning to, photo to learn how to um, do photography. So yeah, that's basically my brief intro about myself. Great introduction. I, there were some things you mentioned that I did not know about, first of all, Majoring in electrical and computer engineering, you must be incredibly smart. <laughs> and <laughs> second, I can relate to that frustration that you had when you went to places like Yosemite and, you know, national parks, and you had this beauty in front of you and you wanted to capture it, but you weren't happy with the results. I'm sure that's something that a lot of listeners can relate to as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think it's just a... Uh, Obviously, after lots of practice and lots of uh, experimentation and failures, you were able to become the photographer that you are today. And now you take these stunning black and white and color photographs of nature and landscapes, and it's it's absolutely outstanding in my opinion. So you've done a great job. It shows uh, the effort and the persistence you've invested in, in photography. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Um, it took, took me a long time. But I, I definitely had my up and downs. Um, for the first few years, I was just a um, very casual hobbyist. Um, I would only photograph during my vacations, um, which were not that much, right? Few and far between. So um, my progress was naturally slow during the time. Um, I only got more serious um, in, I think that was in 2006. Um, I signed up for my first workshop uh, in a gallery in California, Bishop, California. I'm not sure if you have heard about a photographer, Galen Rowell. And I took uh, a workshop in his mountain light gallery. And it really opened my eyes at the time. Also, at the same year, um, I saved all my vacations and holidays that year and went back to China, spent um, a whole month in the Tibetan region in Western China. And I came back with many images I even cherish today. And this was my first photography focused international travel. And I was really hooked. So I think my photography started to take a serious turn 
um, like in 2006, that was about like almost seven years, seven or eight years after I, you know, started. But that's also because my day job was very demanding. I, I hardly could find time doing it. But, you know, starting from 2006, I was really thinking, you know, maybe I have, you know, I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I, you know, I could continue doing it. So I was really pumped up for more at the time. But I soon discovered that life is, was full of, is full of compromises. Because in 2008, my son was born. And uh, I suddenly find out myself couldn't juggle between all these challenges, like a demanding day job, a new family. Uh, there was really no place for a serious hobby. So I was kind of um, forced to make a, a difficult decision and to put aside photography almost completely to give priority to family and, uh, and career. So for the next six years, that pretty much didn't do much photography at all. Um, only, I think, fast forward to 2014, I felt I had a bit more um, breathing room in life. So I decided it's time to pursue photography again. So I definitely had my up and downs. But this time after I came back to photography and I found myself had more time to do it and I found my progress a little faster. Um, yeah, so definitely not a smooth ride. Absolutely. I think it's very inspiring to hear because oftentimes when you think about getting into photography as a beginner, you feel like it should be a smooth ride or you think it's linear. You know, you start taking pictures and then slowly, slowly or quickly, quickly you progress and, you know, there's some kind of destination. But as you said, there are compromises in life, there are complications, and sometimes you have to set what you love aside for some time in order to prioritize something else. And uh, I completely understand why you did that. And I'm curious to know, did you approach photography differently after going through all those personal changes in your life? Um, I think, yes. Um, first of all, you know, getting back to it after so long was a bit hard. Technically, I found myself, you know, almost already forgot a lot of things, um, both in the field, um, you know, even when I operate my camera, and also my post-processing techniques. It was pretty awkward for a while, but I soon found out as long as I keep doing it, it became fluent again so I just um encourage myself say hey just just keep doing it. it it will come back so yeah you it came back and also um I think things start to take slight different turns you know I, I mentioned that for one I was able to spend a little bit more time in photography in recent years so I noticed my progress was a lot faster than before, but more importantly, I noticed my purpose or philosophy of doing photography evolved. I don't know why, but previously my main purpose was just to reproduce, you know, the beauty that we I saw in nature and do the justice to what I saw in nature. 
but now it started shifting towards using it as an more as an art form to show how I would observe and interpret um, the landscape and nature around me. So, in other words, previously, I mainly just want to achieve pretty pictures, um, aesthetically beautiful pictures. Now, I still want that. I still would like my photos being aesthetically beautiful, but I care more about whether my images have creativity um, or not, whether my images have personal touch or not, and whether they say something about me specifically or not, or whether they show um, how I would observe our world. So I think definitely I, I saw a change in my approach. Um, yeah, I, I could not explain why. Maybe that just came naturally. Maybe it actually has something to do with, you know, those quiet, non-active years that I didn't really pursue photography. I don't think those years were completely a waste in terms of photography. It's certainly part of what shaped who I am today. Um, I think one thing I, I it really helped me to sustain the interest and the passion in photography through those years it, is I kept looking at other photographers' work and it kept myself inspired. Although I couldn't physically do it, I couldn't really travel uh, for photography reasons. But whenever I need time away, or a quick break from stress from work, I just look at photography sites to take the stress away and just to have something to looking forward to. It was also during this period of time that I discovered some of my favorite photographers, uh, such as Guy Tao. And he became a huge influence on me when I eventually came back to photography. So I'm thankful that I didn't stop getting my Myself inspired by photography mentally during these years. And I think it is definitely part of the um, accumulated influence that has helped me to grow and evolve and maybe really influenced me to change my approach. That's very interesting. I think that photography is obviously practice is important, but if you do have moments in life where you can't take pictures all that much, then it's enough to just do the mental work or the visual work, just to look at other people's work. And that too can help you progress in some way. It's, uh, yeah, I've never thought of it. It's a very interesting perspective. And I'm very glad that that exposure to other photographers during a busy time in your life uh, helped you to continue to fall in love with photography. Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, that's probably the best I could do at the time. Um, and I think they're all deposited into you know, the, the visual memories and the thinking. So I think, you know, I think it definitely helped me, you know, uh, through these years. For sure. Yeah, those photographers were already very visual. We're very sensitive to what we see. So I think when we expose ourselves to beautiful art and pictures that we can resonate with, then it affects us in more ways than one. It's not just feeling good inside because you look at a pretty picture. Or a creative one. It's it's also you know you're changing somehow inside. Your perspective is changing. Maybe you're learning something new. Yeah, it's it's an amazing world. Uh, even just looking at a picture can can help you in many ways. I agree. 
in one of your past interviews, you said that you will always be a lifelong learner, which I really like and completely agree with. I think it's easy to fall into a routine, and especially once you become more experienced as a photographer, you have your own ways of doing things. It's just easy to get stuck in that and to feel like you're never going to learn anything new again. Do you have any advice for photographers who are stuck in a rut? Um, that's a great question. Rut happens, and I think it can, you know, it happens to me a lot. But doesn't mean I feel there's nothing to learn anymore. To me, it's actually quite opposite. When rut happens, I think this, this is a time to slow down and reflect. And this is a time to learn and get inspired from others. So for me specifically, and as you know, I'm still part-time doing landscape photography um, because my life is still full of other priorities. Like I'm a busy mom. But so there are still so many things in photography I have not got time or opportunities to try to learn. And there are so many wonderful places that I have not been to. So I am far from reaching to the stage that I would feel I know everything about landscape photography and I tried everything. So, but still frustrations, um, trial and errors uh, can happen a lot to me. Um, also, I personally, uh, despite this may not be a very good thing, I personally strive for consistency. You know, sometimes I just feel I can't reproduce the level of work that I produced previously. So I'm quite frustrated about it. And sometimes when I try to intentionally work on something, either single image or like project, but I just couldn't achieve what I set out to do, I definitely feel a lot of frustration. I feel I'm not progressing. I'm not being productive. So when this happens, my approaches are, I think first, um, I just have to accept this as a natural part of art making process. It is bound to happen in my opinion. Um, once I accept this, and then, then this is time to find inspiration from my favorite photographer's books, website, articles, or this is a time to finally sit down and read the books that always I want to read but never seem to find time to read. And it doesn't have to be the photography books, anything that interests me. Or, you know, turn to my photography friends, have a road trip together, discuss each other's work, have fun together. Um, if I can afford or have time or opportunity, this is maybe the time to take a workshop from my favorite photographers. I don't attend for, uh, workshops often, but a couple of workshops I attended in the past all had a very positive and even profound impact to my photography journey. So I think if we, uh, you know, if you pick the right uh, workshop to attend, um, it can help. Um, our photography life a lot. Then, based on my limited experience, I find with acceptance and patience, good things will eventually happen. Just need to be patient. And I always tell myself, just need to be patient. And I will eventually have those moments 
that new ideas or new revelation would come to mind. And I suddenly realized, yes, I can try this. Um, there's so many things I can try. And I would feel very excited about you know, going back to work and trying them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's basically, I, I wouldn't say these are the advice, but these are basically what I feel when I run into those low period of time. And, and I, I think just need to be patient, accept these, and keep reading, keep learning, keep practicing, and good things will eventually happen. I also learned slowly from the past years that chasing perfection is not necessarily a very good thing. Um, but I, I chase perfection, to be honest with you. Um, and, but I realized that chasing perfection usually comes with putting a lot of pressure on myself and can lead to a lot of frustration and feeling unprotective. So I think this may not be a very good thing for our making. And I'm learning to uh, loosen up from it, but it's hard. So yeah, so that's basically my thoughts on this. Great pieces of advice. It's definitely important to be patient and patience is a virtue. It's difficult to be patient sometimes, especially if you want results, like good results quickly. I remember when I was a beginner in photography, I knew the kinds of pictures I wanted to take, but I had no patience. So every photo shoot, I'd look at my results and I'd be like, this is not it. I'm not happy with this. And I would, you know, drop, I wouldn't drop my camera. I would put it away for a few days. I'd be angry and then I'd go back to it. And it was just a back and forth routine until I realized that patience was definitely um, an important skill to develop. So I completely agree with you. And yeah. Yeah, especially nowadays, you know, when, when equipment, camera equipment is so advanced, you know, the post-processing tools are so amazingly powerful and people get into photography so quickly, right? They become so, so good and in a very short time. But then once technically they reach to a certain point and then they may reach to a point that they may feel hitting a plateau. So I think this is really the time to slow down. And, um, you know, just give ourselves more time, um, learn and keep practicing and get inspired from the landscape, from getting inspired from other people and keep thinking, put thoughts in it. I, I definitely think the good things will eventually happen. I love that philosophy. You earlier mentioned uh, workshops and I want to quickly ask about them because uh, obviously every workshop is different. but. What was your experience like? Did you stay somewhere for a few days or was it just a one-day workshop just in case the listeners are interested? Sure. Um, my first workshop I took uh, was a long time ago was in 2006. That was the year I actually thought, you know, I, my, my, my level in photography really um, took up a one level. So I signed up for this workshop in Bishop, uh, California, in the late Galen Rouse Mountain Light Gallery. Um, the f instructor for that workshop is uh, Zhang Shaw, a famous landscape photography uh, photographer. In fact, when I just started learning uh, photography in 1998, 1999, I went to like a camera shop asking. Um, what kind of books should I buy? Because at that time, there was very limited information online. And the camera shop recommended a few books, landscape uh, photography books. 
they were all written by Zhang Shao. So I read his books and I learned a lot of things from him. And my first workshop was taught also by him. So that was really good. And that was the uh, first time I actually observed how a master at work in the field. Uh, and also the staff members in that gallery were very helpful. Um, I learned a ton. Um, it was not a like expedition type of workshop. Basically, it was just in the gallery, um, in sunrise and sunset. We we went somewhere for a photo shoot and then came back during the day. It was a lecture, so I think it was about three days or three or four days maybe. I, I learned a lot, um, so it was very eye opening experience or mind opening experience. It definitely had a, a pretty profound impact for my photography learning. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. The second uh, workshop I took, fast forward, that was in 2012. So this was actually in those years that I was not able to do photography. Um, like I mentioned, like in 2008, my, my son was born. So I pretty much stopped doing photography after that. Um, but I always itched to come back. So I tried a, a couple of times. So in 2012, I actually tried to come back, but I actually failed. But that was a long story, a different story. So in 2012, I just completed a very long project at work. So I, it was a very stressful, long period of time. Um, so I, I was looking for something to escape from the, the pressure from work. So I thought about, you know, I, want, I really want to, to come back. Um, I want to use photography to help me to get out of it. Um, I thought about, then what's the best way to do it? And, and I still had a very fond memory for the 2006 workshop. So I thought I want to do, attend another workshop. At that time, I already discovered my favorite photographer, Guy Tao's work. And I knew he and his friend, uh, photographer Michael Gordon, and started a workshop in Death Valley, which is not too far away from San Diego. It's about five hours drive. So I thought, I, I want to do that workshop to help me to come back to photography. So I signed up for it, and I also learned a lot from that and got to observe how Guy and Michael work in the field and then I took a lecture. It, again, it's a similar format, except in the mornings uh, and the evenings, um, you know, we, um, they would take us to do the photo sh uh, uh, to shoot in the field. And then during the day, 
and they gave us lectures. So I learned a lot. Um, but it just, unfortunately, when I came back and again, I found out it was not practical to come back. And it was not the right timing. Um, again, my, my job consumed me and there were just so many things to, to juggle between job and uh, family. So I, I couldn't come back in 2012. It would be another two years. Finally, two and a half years, I would say. And finally, I, my son was, I think at six at the time, we started taking him to national parks. Uh, he was interested. And as a family, we were able to travel a bit more. Um, and uh, I had a little more breathing room from my work. So I came back eventually. But yes, these two workshops both had Pretty positive and profound impact on me, and I couldn't recommend enough. But unfortunately, Mountain Light Gallery closed the door, um, I think a few years ago, and that was very sad. It was a beautiful gallery, and whenever I um, travel uh, through Bishop, that town, I always came in to visit the gallery, um, but sadly closed the door. But yeah, so the, uh, Hopefully my experience would inspire uh, some people that are still hesitating for workshops, but you, I also say you should find the right workshop um, that suits you. Um, workshop to me is where I want to go to learn from the masters. Um, it's not where I, um, you know, I want to just um, go to those exotic places and take photos. Um, that is wonderful too, but I think uh, learning really to get inspired from these masters are the primary reason that I, um, I take for uh, workshop. Absolutely, yeah. I understand why workshops are so valuable because you get to interact with these very experienced instructors and you get to meet other people as well, probably and go to these beautiful places, as you said, but mostly you learn a lot. And I can imagine how valuable and inspiring that is. And, it's a worthy investment, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. Editing is also an important part of photography in general, but I think especially in black and white photography, when you're converting to black and white in an editing program, there are probably specific things that you do to make certain parts of an image stand out and to maybe hide other parts of an image. Do you have any editing tricks for people who want to enhance their photographs and post? I wouldn't say tricks, but yeah, I have a few things to share. Um, yes, you are definitely right that post-processing is an integral part of the digital photography, and especially for black and white, I say, because this is where it helps me to uh, be able to fully express uh, and communicate what I want to, uh, what I want my image to say, and we elevate the emotional response um, that I, um, I want my images to, to communicate. So, however, but first I want to go back to one thing that um, to enhance the overall image quality, I'd still start from improving the work prior to the post-processing. Because to me, this is, you know, this, everything starts from composition. Uh, a good composition can be further enhanced by black and white, but a problematic or boring composition um, actually can be hurt by going to black and white. 
uh, it's not easy to save. And the problem will be, um, in my opinion, can be manifested by black and white because in black and white, we don't have that poison color to absorb and distract viewers' attention anymore. So, so I think a good composition is, is really the foundation of any image, especially for black and white. Also, for me, I especially like simplicity. I, I wouldn't call myself a, a minimalist, but I always look for simplicity. I think simplicity really shines with black and white. And, and to be honest, and it's much easier to handle a simple and focused image in black and white comparing to a complex scene where there are lots of textures and objects and um, focal points. Um, it's just much harder to deal with that type of images in black and white, in my opinion. So coming back to the post-processing specifically, I, I think for black and white, tonal control is one of the specific things and also more, most important aspects to make uh, a black and white image sing, so to speak. I particularly enjoy playing with tonalities um, when I map the colors to black and white. Because as you also touched base on, we don't directly see black and white, right? So there can be many different ways to convert color and then fine tune these tonalities. And you know whether to uh, emphasize what we want viewers to see and de-emphasize what we do not want to see or use tonalities um, to help us to guide viewers' uh, visual path. And all these decisions largely depend on photographers' own interpretations and own decisions. So like I said, and this is exactly the part I, I enjoy playing with. So in terms of my flow, I use Lightroom for raw conversion. And um, I also use Lightroom for, you know, to do a few very basic adjustments. Then I would go to Photoshop to do a majority of the work. Lightroom is actually also very powerful, but because I learned Photoshop first, um, I'm more familiar with it. Um, so that's why I do most of the heavy lifting in Photoshop, but not Lightroom. But I know Lightroom these, these days are getting more and more powerful and we can do a lot. Then I um, currently, I primarily use um, a software called Silver Effects Pro to do the initial black and white conversion from color. Um, I actually still use the older version of the Silver Effects Pro, which was still the uh, the NIC software version. But uh, as you may know, that Silver uh, Effects Pro as part of the, the whole package is owned by DxO now. And the new DxO version is supposed to be uh, better and enhanced, but I haven't tried it yet. So if people are new to black and white post-processing, um, I definitely recommend you know, they try the Silver Effects Pro. However, I don't stop at what this tool gives me. Um, I usually use it as a starting point and then continue the adjustment back in Photoshop until I like it. Um, the tools I commonly use in Photoshop 
are you know pretty pretty normal common tools like curve, uh, dodge and burn, gradient tools with layers in the mask, things like that. Um, I learned from my you know the past experience and also from um, those experienced uh, photographers that I I don't think we need a lot of um, fancy tools, post processing tools. We only need to master a few powerful ones, and but we need to know really well how to use them, and this can be very powerful. Um, but beyond that, we I don't think we actually need many fancy different tools. Another thing I would mention that probably very common to many photographers that when I come back from a trip, sometimes I just sit on it for a while before I start processing the images. So this is largely, you know, due to the fact that for me, my trips are few and far between. So I don't need to be in a hurry to process them. But, you know, there are also a benefit by doing that, you know, that after sitting on it for a period of time, I can, I can then look at my images with um, a relative fresh mind and, and I, I find that I was able to I'm able to analyze their technicality from uh, a more uh, objective angle. I think that seems to be pretty useful um, thing to do. And I know a lot of photographers do that too. Also, I think another thing I want to mention, um, coming to the post-processing, and to me, it's almost... You know, I, I, I don't know if it's the most important thing, but to me it's very important, is to stay true with what I felt at the scene while process my image. Although um, technically I want to look at it with objective eyes, I definitely want to stay true with those feelings. Um, these two things may sound conflicting, but I think... Combining these two are very important to me. I, I, I just think that the initial instinctive response towards the landscape is a very precious thing to, to me and to everybody because it says a lot about the photographer. So I, I strive for my images to convey uh, that feeling that I felt at seeing. Um, but quite so. Quite often, the raw images look flat and don't reflect the emotion yet. So this is where the post processing comes in to to discover that, to elevate that, and get close to communicate the emotions. And but on the other hand, I also do not want my images pretend to be something they're not. Uh, say, for example, if it's a calm and quiet little scene, I do not need to make it look epic and impress people. So I think first we really need to identify our connection with the image, with the landscape. Then the goal is to find the techniques to, to fully express that. I just think this is a very important thing for me. Great answer. Thank you so much for sharing all these tools and your philosophy of editing. I completely agree with you. I believe that the way that you connect with your subject is the most important thing. That's the foundation of your work. 
and it will make it easier for other people to connect to your work if they see or if they feel that the the creator you know really wanted to create the image there's uh, some kind of authenticity in pictures that you can tell that the photographer wanted to take that picture and they have some kind of emotional connection to it and then i also like what you said about using the right editing tools for you and that they don't have to be fancy I myself specialize in, in Lightroom editing, so I prefer editing in Lightroom, but there, even in Lightroom, I use very specific tools, and I've been using them for years, and they've worked a lot in my favor, so I understand what you mean about you know, having a few tools, but using them wisely and knowing how to yes. use them. Great advice. Thank you. Oh, yes. You, you, you have put all these things very beautifully. Yeah. Yes, I definitely agree with you. Uh, we were talking about black and white photography now, obviously, as you said, it's it's about uh, connecting with your subject. And another thing that you've mentioned in some interviews is pre-visualization, which, again, you have to have an imagination for that. You have to be able to imagine what a picture will look like in black and white, because that's a perspective that many people don't have initially. And you do that very beautifully in your work. What advice would you give to photographers who want to practice and master the skill of pre-visualization? Great question, and it's a very hard question, too. Um, yes, I think black and white does require imagination and visualization um, throughout the image-making process, starting from when we take the photo in the field and all the way uh, to the post-processing. I usually start thinking about whether this image in front of me would be black and white or not prior to taking the photo when I when I observe uh, the scene. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm not an exclusive black and white photographer. I think color and black and white each has its own strength. There, and there are plenty of subjects or things that generally appeal more in color. And I will not hesitate choosing color if I think um, an image is stronger with color. But when coming to black and white, I think you know, it really excels when when color is not or does not positively add to the image because some other visual elements are more dominant. So I always intentionally or unintentionally uh, look for these visual elements in a composition. And when I spot them, when I discover them, I would uh, immediately think about how they would look in black and white. So what I usually look for. Uh, two things if i want to summarize first strong geometrical compositional elements especially with simplicity or even minimalism like lines shapes patterns textures etc secondly when i feel there's a strong emotion and mood in the scene um, obviously this would be case by case but I think black and white has a has a potential to really excel and shine in these situations because without colors, viewers' eyes and attention will be completely focused on the patterns, lines, shapes, etc., or completely focused on the emotional impact of the image. And in these situations, I feel color may not add to the image and even could become a distraction. So these are the main things um, I look for or I visualize um, how I would go towards a good candidate for black and white image. 
and I completely can feel that I can understand um, sometimes people's space seeing and imagining in black and white can be tricky. And definitely for me also, this is true as well at the beginning, uh, even today. But I think this skill can also come from, uh, building the skill can also come from, you know, a couple of different aspects. One is it has to come from personal interest. You know, I, I, I took an interest in black and white, which just naturally happened. I, I, I didn't really force myself to learn uh, black and white. I just found it really, I just, you know, really fascinating to me. Whenever I see a great black and white image, I, I could literally feel my heart almost can skip, uh, skip a beat. So that's how I, uh, when this happened over and over, and that's how I realized and really um, gravitated towards it. So because of that interest, I find myself often consciously or, or unconsciously analyze the uh, landscape or analyze the image to see if I can present it in black and white and how I can best present it in black and white. So, and because of this, I don't mind keep practicing um, despite many failures, um, keep trying different you know, processing ways in black and white, um, keep learning and getting inspired from other black and white photographers' work. So, uh, and also like anything, like anything else, the more practice, the more fluent we'll get, that's for sure. So the more we kind of trying to think in terms of black and white, trying to think in terms of geometry rather than subject matter, um, I, I think it definitely will help us to see it. Also nowadays, um, there are cameras which we can directly shoot directly in monochrome mode while preserving the full raw image quality. I, I heard a lot of good things about it. I mean, uh, uh, a few people told me when they switch to this mode, um, it opened their eyes. It teaches them a lot in terms of how to see black and white. So I think if you're new to it, this may be a good way to start uh, to learn how to visualize and see in black and white. I personally haven't started using this approach yet because I am just so used to uh, visualize the black and white interpretation in my mind, uh, in my mind's eye, when in the field. So, but in the future, I, I don't mind trying it. I'm, I'm open to try this approach, but I just haven't started doing it yet. That's really interesting. So, I think your style would be, or maybe it would be the same. I'm curious to know what it would be like if you shot in black and white first. Would things be very different or, you know, I'm curious. I, as of now, um, I still prefer to use my own imagination, seeing it in my own mind's eye um, to do it. Because I don't trust letting the computers in the camera to make these decisions for me. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I don't want it to make a decision for me. So, because this is the part I actually enjoy the most to use my own interpretation, my own imagination to. Um, for my image making. But nowadays, you know, the cameras have become so advanced, um, they might actually start to learn how to interpret the scene very smartly and very artistically. So I would also be interested to know, to see how um, the computers will see it, um, how the AI will see it. And that might actually come back, uh, you know, come back to 
inspire me to do even better. So yeah, I'm excited for trying it in the future, but um, at the moment, I'm still doing my own thing. And you're doing your own thing wonderfully. Such a wonderful job. I like that you pre-visualize. It's something that, yeah, it's it's a skill. It's very difficult to get to that point where you feel comfortable with that, where you can comfortably pre-visualize things. And uh, I just hope that you continue doing this amazing work that you're doing because it's very inspiring. And earlier you mentioned that when you look at a black and white photo, if it's really, really outstanding, you feel something inside, like your heart skips a beat. I definitely felt that way with your photographs when I saw them. Mm, Thank thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear that. I know (laughs) you also have a amazing eyes in uh, black and white. So hearing that comment from you, that makes me very happy. Thank you. Thank you, too. I'm sure the listeners are also uh, interested to know about the camera equipment that you use. So could you let me know what kind of gear you prefer using? Sure. I have always been using Canon ever since I started. And I actually know you're a Canon girl, right? I am so totally a Canon girl. High five. (laughs) Yeah. You know, ever since I started back in the nine, you know, the end of nineties, my first camera was a Canon, um, a little film camera. I think it's Canon Elan 2E. So I went through generations of Canon digital uh, uh, cameras. After that, I'm currently using Canon 5D Mark IV. Um, I still like it a lot. I've, I've been using it for quite a few years. Um, and in terms of lens, I always have three of my favorite lenses in the back, uh, my 16 to 35 wide angle and my 100 to 400 telephoto and um, 100 mil macro lens. So these three, I always have them in my back. Um, but, you know, in the future, well, in the near future, I am planning to move to Canon's mirrorless system soon. And I, I look forward to it. I heard a lot of good things about it. And I think it would improve my um, efficiency uh, in the field. But yeah, overall, I like to keep it simple. Um, I don't like switching camera gears often. Um, I don't like fussing with it in the field. Um, I like to stick with the same equipment until I, I actually feel there are uh, restrictions. They're limiting my capabilities or if there are some really new features without which would start restricting how, how I would photograph, only then I would consider upgrade. You know, for example, I, I used a uh, 70 to 200 lens a lot in the past, but then I found out it really limited my reach in bigger landscape environment like Alaska, uh, Yellowstone, um, Death Valley. You know, these are my favorite places. Only after realizing this, I purchased a 100 to 400 lens and it became my favorite lens today. So, yeah, only when I um, feel I'm restricted by my equipment, then I would consider um, upgrading. Otherwise, I, w- I would be perfectly happy with my old equipment. And sometimes I just feel, you know, I, I'm working with old friends um, in the field. I do not need to worry about if I you know, some buttons I do not know and things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's basically my camera equipment. Of course, I, need, I always need a 
a good um, tripod and you know, when I start learning photography, um, people always say that a good tripod would uh, help improving the quality of the image a lot. So I definitely do that. Other than that, I'm, there really no uh, other fancy equipment that I use. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. That's great equipment. I like that you said that it's like working with an old friend. I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to that because once you're used to your camera, it's just, it's your friend, right? It's uh, very easy to use. I used to feel so comfortable um, with that. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. I have one more question for you, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to eventually publish a photography book, but I felt, you know, currently I'm not there yet. So for the time being, um, I don't really have other big ambitions other than just continue building a very solid imagery portfolios and continue improving my skills of seeing and continue progressing you know, towards personally expressive photography and keep getting better. So yeah, that's basically what I am aiming for for now. But eventually, I think when I feel I reach to the stage that I can do it, I would like to have a photography book published. Amazing. I'm sure you'll be able to get to that point. To be honest, I think your work is already absolutely worthy of being in a photography book of your own. But of course, it's your photography book, so you get to decide when that happens. But when it comes out, I really look forward to checking it out because I'm sure it'll be amazing. Very much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for your openness. You shared so many valuable tips with the listeners and with me. I'm very grateful for that and I'm very inspired by your story. And of course, I look forward to seeing all the photos you take in the future. Thank you very much, Tara. Thanks again for having me on your podcast. And uh, it's an honor to be invited again. And again, uh, congratulations to you for your podcast exceeding the 100th episode. That's a, that's a wonderful achievement. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Great Big Photography World wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. I love the way that Huibo approaches her work. I like that she's very thoughtful and she puts a lot of effort into every image, especially when it comes to pre-visualization. I hope you learned a lot from her in this episode, and I hope that you take the time to look through her amazing work and support her. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.